0: You are listening to WPRK 91.5, the voice of Rollins College Winter Park, Florida. Welcome to the Crummer Hour on WPRK 91.5 Rollins College. I'm your host, Clara Mount. Today's show is brought to you by the Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College and Victor Media Group. You can check out Victor Media Group and its growing library of shows and podcasts at victormediagroup.co. This season of the Crummer Hour is dedicated to examining service as we meet with Rollins and Crummer alumni who are serving the Crummer community as well as the community at large. Today's guest is Terry Castillo, Training and Development Manager for the Orange County Clerk of Courts and Chairwoman of the Osceola County School Board. And I'm also here with our panel of Crummer students and alumni, which includes Kyle Sawyer, current student in EA MBA 37, Raquel Betancourt, Senior Provider Relations Specialist at Advent Health MBA 20. Twenty And as always, I'm Clara Mount, MBA 2020. Welcome, everyone.
1: Hi, Clara.
0: All right. In a moment, we're going to listen to that Crummer Connections interview with Terry Castillo that was broadcast this past November. But before we do that, I always like to ask the panel to share some of their thoughts about that interview. Um, so, Kyle, what do you think the listeners should check out in that interview?
1: I think they should definitely keep their ears open for uh, Terry's story about her grandmother and that how that influenced her passion for service. It's really, really powerful.
2: Yeah, definitely. How about you, Raquel? Um, I think the fact that Terry is involved in multiple lines of work is extremely admirable, and it just shows her dedication for leadership.
0: Yes, definitely. Um, And for myself, I actually was inspired by that interview to go apply to volunteer for the Trevor Project. Um, I realized I had some skills that I wasn't putting to use to serve a community I really care about. So I hope that others can find similar inspiration.
1: That's so cool. (laughs)
0: um so in the second half of the show we're gonna have terry here with us to with our panel to discuss more about her views on service as well as her crummer experience so definitely stay tuned for that but first let's check out that crummer connections interview the first segment of crummer connections is called service is personal and it lets us understand our guests personal motivations for leading and serving the next thing you hear is going to be host jb adams welcoming our guest so let's get started
3: Terry Castillo welcome to the show.
4: Hi how are you JP? Nice to
2: see you and hear you.
3: Wonderful to have you here with us. Uh, we're going to start right out of the gate with philosophy of service. What do you believe when it comes to serving others?
4: I believe that you become your best self when you're serving others. Uh I, and I also believe that you should use your specific gifts, your specific talents in order to advance your, your own service. So for example, if you're really great at finance, right? You can still be of service. And that is what you should use in order to, um, to advance your, uh, a, a specific cause. So where do your talents, where does your, uh, your education fit in? to the entire service ecosystem and then use that specifically to advance.
3: So building off of what you just said, I wanna understand what motivates someone to serve or specifically I wanna understand what motivates you, Terry, to serve.
4: You know, for me, service has always been kind of part of of who I am, just watching my grandmother be such a selfless person as well. But I think that in my particular case, I ran across a lot of people who took just a little bit of time, just a little bit of their skill set in order to guide me in the right direction. I shouldn't be where I am today. Statistically speaking, if you look at my background, I should not have the education level that I have. I should not have the stability that I have. Statistically speaking, I should be just another number. And the reason that I'm not is because someone, a few people took interest in who I was and they decided to be of service to me. And that is the reason why I believe that I am where I am today.
3: So it's, it's taking the gifts that were given to you and then passing them along to the people who are next in line.
4: It's a pay it forward philosophy for me, right? How do I pay back the people who
3: took an interest in me? And, and do you think that that is a common philosophy? What, he, I'm, I'm challenging you. I'm trying to be challenging, Terry. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> why, why don't more people get involved in service? How can we make service more attractive?
4: Well, for one thing, I think it goes back to my original comment about, you know, how what is my service philosophy? I think that a lot of people think that service in general is just, you know, uh, volunteering at a soup kitchen on the weekends or, you know, doing something during Christmas for a less fortunate family. And if you just think about it that way, it could one seem disingenuous to some people. It's like, I don't, that's not necessarily what I want to do, but it could also be very taxing. Yeah. If you're every weekend out, just doing volunteer work, it can be very taxing and it doesn't really fulfill you. But I think if you're focused on what what are my unique gifts and how do I use those specific gifts to give back, then you can actually, um, you know, just it could just be an extension of of the work that you're already doing.
3: Mm -hmm. So uh, what you're pointing out to me is it doesn't have to be taxing for you to give up a little bit of your extra time, if the fulfillment that you're getting from doing it offsets that, you actually get energized from providing service.
4: Absolutely, I do as well. Um, if I'm if I'm really in alignment with what makes me happy, what lights me up, so for me, a lot of that has to do with education. So a lot of the service that I do with my community is in the realm of educating students, providing avenues for students to to have. Um, an easier way to, um, to find their their own passions, educating adults. like So for me, I love education. And so I've extended what I love into now using that as like my service philosophy, my service projects. If you're helping out someone or a group of people in your community that are they're down on their luck, right? a lot of times those people are participating in taking advantage of governmental services that, you know, that we all pay for. They're, they're, they're possibly not in the best place right now to be productive, you know, or, or you know they could be more productive in the future. And when you're helping them to get out of that situation, the entire community benefits, because now you have someone who is much more stable and they're now able to give back.
3: So just to summarize, this is great. Um, we're helping society, we're helping the local community, we're helping individual people in our community, and we're helping ourselves. Yeah, it's it's both selfless and selfish.
4: Yeah, whatever whatever um, gets you to to do service, I think it's great. Um, and yeah, you're right. It, there are many many um, benefits to to service.
3: All right. Let's talk about uh, some specific examples of the service that you've gotten involved in. You have a regular nine to five job that is in local government in Orange County. You yes. are, while you were in school, you are participating in uh, the PMBA board, and in addition to that, you are serving on the school board of Osceola County. I am, <laughs> <laughs> and so. It, it it's just not lost on me that you are someone who likes to get involved and make a difference in the community. Would you say that there are differences in the ways that you serve in, in these different, um, boards or these, you know, the, the different entities that you participate in?
4: I think, I think that they're, they are different just because of the roles that I play in each one of these specific, um, areas that I work in. Right. So, PMBA chair that was very organic, very collaborative. And I wanted to make sure that there was a lot of input from the people that I was serving, which in that case was was my, my cohort, my peer group, right? At my job with Orange County Clerk of Forts as a training manager, I have a lot of responsibility with creating a vision of how our training is going to impact every other department. So in a lot of um, the conversations that I have day in and day out, I'm a consultant to other divisions, but I'm also um, an advisor. And so again, different sort of conversation. At the school board, it is really kind of a layered approach because on the one hand, you know, we kind of sit at the top of the organizational chart. I mean, the voters are above us, right? But when it comes to the organization of the board, we kind of sit on top of that. So the kinds of questions that we ask are very, very different. But again, for me, every question, whether it's a business question, a finance question, a talent management question, which is everything that we deal with, I always think about, great, how does this uh, help our students? Because that's That's who I think is my boss, right? So coming from so many different angles um, and there there have been times that I was wearing all three of those hats in one day.
3: Mm -hmm. You made it very clear for me that you can serve in many different arenas, but you might be playing a different role in every single one.
1: Yeah.
3: All right. Um, (laughs) Thank you for that. Our next topic is about your backstory, and this gives us a chance to get to know you and to understand your early business influences. We're going to start with some short answers to some short questions. So, Terry, where were you born and raised?
4: I was born in Miami, Florida, and I spent most of my childhood there. And I moved to Kissimmee, Florida when I was 16.
3: Okay, somebody's listening and they're thinking, what neighborhood in Miami?
4: Hialeah, of course.
3: Hialeah, okay. um what generation do you identify with
4: oh controversy i am technically an elder millennial that is the truth that is what we are considered early 80s babies but we have created our own niche which is the Zenial generation so we're in the betweeners
3: yeah part x and part millennial
4: yeah part x part millennial
3: I love it when you can sort of claim your sliver of a generation. I like that. Yeah. Tell me about your parents' occupations.
4: So my mom in Miami worked at a factory. She worked at a dress making factory. They made really fancy dresses. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought it was a fashion house, but I think as I've become older, I've realized that it wasn't really a fashion house. (laughs) Um, And my dad, a very bohemian uh, musician. He was a musician for most of my life. And then once we moved to Central Florida, he actually started driving buses as well. Mm
3: -hmm. Okay. Did you have early career aspirations when you were young and growing up in Miami?
4: Yeah. So Miami is such an eclectic city. And obviously because my dad was so into the arts himself, I thought I was going to be an actor I went to a magnet school in Miami that focused on arts and my my major at the time was theater. I thought it was going to be the next big thing. <laughs> That's what I I originally wanted to do. But I've decided after kind of having a conversation with myself that I didn't want to risk um, being a starving artist.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're going to come back to that. Because I know there's there's one little bit of your backstory that we want to dive into, and that is that you had an influential role model. Is that a good mm-hmm. way to describe
4: oh, my hero, <laughs> yeah, hero. of course, absolutely.
3: tell us about that and and this takes us outside of Florida, right? It takes us outside of the country, actually, so
4: one of the interesting things about being a first-generation American, I think other first-generation Americans might, um, might have this experience, is that you saw very strong ties in the country of origin of your parents. And my parents are from Dominican Republic. A lot of times when things were not going well for us here in the States, they would send my brother and I over to Dominican Republic. So it was either a, a summer, they extended summer vacation while my parents got on their feet or even during the year when they just were not able to Ew. you know afford certain certain things. So I spent a lot of time in Dominican Republic with my grandma and um, <laughs> she lived in a, in a neighborhood where she was the school operator, right? And her house, was actually a school as well Yeah. so we would be in the house and around us there was class going on <laughs> throughout the day you had different grade levels in the first level and then at the top you had the secondary um, students so they were high school and above so it was a really interesting uh, experience to have a grandmother who was a teacher she was also the school operator And she was, I would say, an entrepreneur because she was hustling all the time (laughs) to make the best use of of her facilities.
3: And what kind of community was this? This was city or country?
4: So we were in Santo Domingo, which is the capital of Dominican Republic. Mm -hmm. So very, very city, bustling, you know, uh, it was a bustling town. It was bustling, very fast paced, I think, as well.
3: She she was serving the neighborhood.
4: She was serving the neighborhood because in Dominican Republic, there is public education now. So I don't want to, you know, misspeak. But back when I was growing up, the public school system was not as strong. It is stronger now. So I have to admit that. But it wasn't before. Everything was far away. There's no transportation for students to go from like this neighborhood to that neighborhood. So there was, you know, the schools that were available were typically operated by someone in the neighborhood. She was one of the lucky few people that had some kind of of income that was steady, right? Most people didn't in that neighborhood. And she knew that she was one of the only people in the radius to provide education. So then how do you make the money to continue operating the school? So (laughs) she would rent out the rooms in the school after school hours to other people. So at night there was um, people getting their, um, learning how to be secretaries. And so that teacher would rent that room, that facility, and she would take a cut of the tuition. Uh, There was a karate teacher. (laughs) That's how I got introduced to karate because the karate teacher was teaching in the back as well. So again, he would come get those students write out the room and she would get a cut of that as well. So she was a little entrepreneur. <laughs> also, besides being an educator, she was an entrepreneur.
3: She's a, a definitely a, a service role model. Uh, I'm going to challenge you with this thought. If you could sum up what you learned from observing your grandmother, what's the lesson?
4: Your life is in service to others. Mm-hmm. That really is what I learned from her. You know, she wasn't rich. She never said no to someone who was asking her for help. She had people living with her that were kicked out of their homes because of whatever reason. And, and it was typically young women. And those young women worked at the house and then they were educated. And then they went out and worked and brought her back, you know, funds to help her out. So you could see the circle of service kind of helping out the community in her like little ecosystem. But she was always willing to help someone especially if they were down on their luck. Like, Doña Luisa's house <laughs> was a place you went to get better.
3: <laughs> That's the source of the inspiration. Yeah. Our guest is Terry Castillo, and when we come back, we're going to learn more about her career in education. Stay with us. As a member of the Crummer community, you know that it's the people you meet at Crummer who make the greatest difference in your career. So I want to tell you about Rollins Connect, It's a networking platform that will help you stay connected to over 40,000 Rollins alumni worldwide. And it's available right now. Please go to rollinsconnect.rollins.edu, check it out, and if you need someone to connect to, connect to me, J.B. Adams. That's Rollins Connect, your connection to the Crummer community. Welcome back to Crummer Connections. I'm J.B. Adams, and our guest is Terry Castillo, vice chair of the Osceola County School Board, training and development manager for the Orange County Clerk of Courts, and former chair of career enhancement and service on the PMBA board at the Crummer Graduate School of Business. So, Terry, before the break, we were talking about your grandmother, who was someone who served as a role model for you, not only in service, but also as an educator. So, tell us about your career in education. You said that you were in a series of corporate jobs, but there was a moment when something really clicked for you,
4: yeah. So, like you said, I was just working corporate job, corporate job, corporate job.
3: And then I what was in when when you were in those early corporate jobs, a lot of customer service work.
4: I worked for vacation. You know, we live in in Central Florida, so there was a lot of vacation rental places uh, for bigger, bigger companies, of course, very well-known companies. And then I think what happened was I was in school studying like digital media or something. And I was like, you know, I think it will be really interesting to work for Apple. So I applied with my knowledge on (laughs) computers and I really had limited knowledge at that point. And for some crazy reason, they hired me and um during my time with apple at one point they asked me to start teaching and i was like what like yeah you're so good with customers you should consider becoming a creative which is their um their training department basically it's have really cool names for everything and as a result of that they sent me to apple headquarters which is in california and we took a course And what I know now is adult learning theory. At the time, I didn't know what it was. And I was like, wait, what? This is a thing? Like, I can make a career out of being a corporate teacher? I can make a career out of this? Um, It was such an inspiring time to go there too. It was like at the height of like Apple's popularity and just getting to spend time with people from around the country who were doing the same thing. And knowing that for me, it wasn't just like, I didn't have to be like an expert in technology to help people understand how to use their systems better. And I was, I was just blown away with what I could do with
3: this. Can I, can I dig a little deeper on that? Because you and I had a parallel track where I remember discovering training at Disney University and, and thinking the exact same thing that you just said, this is a really a thing. And I didn't know that this existed and I could make a career out of it. So it was yeah. a relation. What does it do to a professional when you find that aha moment of like this could be my thing? What what does it do for you after that?
4: Yeah, I got so focused. More before I just felt like I was I was just in a sea of like possibilities but none of the possibilities were really taking me anywhere that I was satisfied. I mean, even in school, I was just like, I don't know what I want to do. Just going going around everywhere. Um, but it was, it was just like that moment where you're like, oh, this is what I'm good at. And this is where I can benefit people. So you just became, I just became very, very focused on where I wanted to go. And actually it took a little bit longer than just Apple. Like Apple was like the first taste, but, um, it, you know, it was what set me on track. But even then I was still kind of like floundering around and I finally get it, gave up and said, ah, this is it. I'm I'm going to stay married to training.
3: <laughs> yeah. I can totally relate. So, uh, for anyone who's listening, who is still trying to figure it out, what's the takeaway? What advice would you give? Not to, like, we're not saying that everyone should go into training. That's what works for Just, us. Yeah. Someone who's searching, what advice would you give to them?
4: So you have to pay attention to what makes you smile. That's a great indicator to the fact that you're in the right path.
3: Aha, what makes you smile. That is something that each one of us needs to pay attention to. All right, (laughs) (laughs) Um, we're gonna move on to your best business advice. So this segment is devoted to uh, just an examination of your career and your experience with business and just advice that any professional could use.
4: Yeah. So thinking about career advice and what I think has really helped me. Um, the last semester that I was with Kramer, we read a book called The Hard Thing About Hard Things. And in that book, there was a a story, a chapter about the right kind of ambition. I don't think that's what it was titled, but that's what I took away from it. Yeah. And I remember when I was in my, you know, earlier career years, I just wanted to be someone's boss. I didn't care. I was like, how do I become someone's boss? And that was my quote unquote ambition, right? But the moment that I started focusing on how does Terry's experience and talents help grow an organization, help grow a person, that's the moment when my ambition was just amplified Mm -hmm. for the right reasons. And I can tell you that it has made such a difference in the way that I show up to work, but also in the way that people see me. And now I'm seeing so much, like my results are so much better. So I think really focusing on how do you help other people instead of how do you help yourself? It sounds really cliche, but I promise you, that is probably the the best thing that I could have ever done for myself is, how do I help others? And then again, just focusing on where you can use the gifts that you already have in order to expand a strategic plan, in order to expand a goal and kind of insert yourself into those conversations as best you can and do not underestimate the power of a network. Who knows who you are? Who knows what you can do? Who knows what you have done? Because those people who know you best are going to be talking about you in rooms that you are not able to get into yet exactly. and that's going to be your next like career plan your next big opportunity that's how it's going to happen
3: all right i'm, I'm going to summarize and then i'm going to ask for your reaction just to see if there's like maybe there's some more uh, additional nuggets that we could uncover sure sure so the first thing that you said was about the reasons why clarifying the reasons why and that's powerful to me because it's the difference between I'm doing this for myself and, or I'm doing this to help other people. And when you flip that switch, it opens up the whole world for you.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely.
3: Yeah. And, and what I would like, what I would add is when you're doing it for selfish reasons, people can tell.
4: Mm-hmm. They really can.
3: Yeah. And when you do it for selfless reasons, they can also tell, and they're more inclined to help you find additional opportunities or to give you more responsibility or to help move you forward because they can tell you're doing it for the right reasons. So that's my interpretation of that one. Do you have a reaction to that?
4: No, that's absolutely right. And the fact that a lot of times I didn't know that for a while, I was just like, I'm ambitious. (laughs) Didn't work out that well.
3: Yeah. 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 Um, so to me, that is sort of an, an aha moment. Bring your strengths and your skills to whatever it is that you want to volunteer for. To me, that builds right off of what you just said prior to that. Yeah. Doing it for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. So again, you're not doing this for selfish reasons. You're, you're asking yourself, what gifts can I bring to this relationship in order to move things forward in the most effective way possible so again I'm not just saying hey I've got extra time no it's I've got extra time and these gifts
4: yeah because that's a win-win situation for the service project you're doing as well as for you because I could want very much to you know volunteer in a play it's singing I don't know how to sing what does it matter if I'm doing it for free if it's not effective. <laughs>
3: Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes people do things, quote unquote, for fun. Yeah. When you do service, it it might be for fun, but it's to make your community better.
4: Yeah. It's not for fun for the people you're serving. They really need services. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And to use your analogy, you might be singing in the play and that could be fun for you, but it may not be fun for the audience probably not <laughs> yeah exactly i don't mean you're singing specifically Terry. no you do trump me i'm not good
4: <laughs> okay
3: um all right terry we're about to wrap up our time together uh and as we wrap up what message would you like to give to the crummer community today
4: i i'm just so proud to be part of this community um and i take that very seriously so decisions that i make um uh, ways that I speak, places that I go, I know that I'm not alone. I'm representing Crummer in everything that I do. And I'm so, so proud to be part of this community and so privileged to have been able to to study here and then use my gifts every single day in the service of others.
3: Terry it was a great pleasure talking with you today. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing your story. Thank you.
0: This is Clara Mount. Please stay tuned for the second half of the Crummer Hour. When we come back, we'll meet with Terry Castillo to get her responses to questions from our panel made up of Crummer students and alumni. You are listening to WPRK 91.5, the voice of Rollins College, Winter Park, Florida. Hi, I'm Mallory Bliss, an Early Advantage MBA student at Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College. When I was searching for my next opportunity after graduation, an MBA at Crummer was the best opportunity for me. I was nervous about starting at Crummer with my science background, but my fears were calmed on the very first day. Crummer is helping me pursue my aspiration of working in the pharmaceutical industry.
1: For more information on the Crummer Early Advantage MBA program, visit crummer.rollins.edu.
0: Today's Crummer Hour, we are talking with Terry Castillo, Training and Development Manager for the Orange County Clerk of Courts and Chairwoman of the Osceola County School Board. In the first half of the show, we heard Terry share her early career experiences and discuss the importance of identifying your gifts and using them to serve others. And now, in the second half of the show, we actually have her here with us live in our Zoom studio to have her respond to the questions from our panel of Crummer students and alumni. Terry, welcome to the show. Hi, guys. How are you? Good. Thank Yay. you so much for coming back. <laughs> of course. <laughs> also with us, we have our panel of Kramer alumni and students, which includes Kyle Sawyer, current student in EA MBA 37.
1: Season three. Here we go. What a great start. This is exciting.
0: <laughs> Raquel Betancourt, Senior Provider Relations Specialist at Advent Health, MBA
2: 2020. Yay! <laughs> Happy to be here
0: and i'm clara mount your host mba 2020 all right so just jumping right on into these questions we've got some good ones today our first question terry is about your role as chairwoman of the osceola county school board as well as uh, kind of both sides of the work that you do so um, i'm gonna kick things off When you talk about the work that you do, I I noticed that you talk about getting input from the people that you serve. And so I was curious, how do you actually go about getting that input and why is it so important to get that input?
4: Yeah, so I think it's really important because you want to provide the right solution for the people that you serve. So for me, whether it's as a training manager, I provide a service uh, for our organization And that service is going to be consumed by other people. So I tend to workshop my ideas and work with business partners within the organization to kind of see if the vision that I have for the solution is actually in line with what they actually want to do. So I I tend to show my work as soon (laughs) as I start it. Um, instead of waiting for it to be perfect and finished, just because I wanna know if I'm on the right track. I wanna know that my solution is actually the solution that they need. And the same thing with the school board, um, I hold virtual um, virtual uh, service hours. So if somebody wants to talk to me, sometimes they don't wanna go to a school board meeting, they don't wanna write an email, they wanna have more of a personal connection. So I have that available. If anybody wants to meet with me, we can meet virtually and just have a one-on-one conversation. Um, and I also, believe it or not, I still hardcore canvas my district. Just oh. offering myself up. I will go to somebody's house on a Saturday. Like I'll pick an area that I want to go to, mm-hmm. knock on doors and be like, hey, you know, this is going on at the school district. Here's a resource that you might need. And by the way, I'm your school board member. What questions do you have for me and how can I help? So just putting yourself where people are because you want the solutions that you're providing to be the right ones, not the ones that I think are right.
0: Yeah, I think it's, I hear that a lot at Crummer when I was taking my entrepreneurship classes, it's a similar idea. If you don't really understand the problem that you're solving, how can you give them a solution that's actually gonna help? So I love that perspective. That's beautiful, thank you. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Our next question comes from Raquel. Yes, so my question is, first of all, I wanted to say that I really enjoyed the first interview. I feel like we both have many similarities as far as growing up. And also my grandmother for me was, um, you know, a big pillar in my life and my decisions and getting my MBA and all that good stuff. But my question is, are you able to speak on how community engagement can make an impact on both students and school district at large?
4: Yeah. Um, again, it's really, well, two things. So a lot of times when we're implementing policies in the school district, these policies are going to affect students. I always think students are my first stakeholders. And my question is always going to start, how will this affect students? So we have to engage students if we possibly can, or at the very least, whoever's closest to the students. Mm -hmm. But I also think that involving students in some of our decision-making, uh, you know, when we're making decisions for them, actually involving our students is a great way for them to see two things. One, how government works and also to empower them to be able to use their voice outside of the school district once they are actually out in the world. And um, I think that our superintendent does a great job of engaging students. She has a senior focus group and I've personally have engaged with students when you know there's policies that I know for a fact are coming from them when when questions arise that are coming from them I have sat down with students, alumni, um, specifically for a really huge issue that we were having about a year ago. It was a really traumatic issue that was going on at one of our schools. And uh, I could have just given it to the superintendent. She's brilliant. And she's the one that has the pulse of the students. But I thought that if I was going to sign off on any policy, I needed to really intricately understand what the issue was. And so... I thought it was a great way to partner with with students and hear, first of all, what is a real issue? Hear my ideas, students. What do you think about those ideas? And then bringing, having them bring something to the table. It was really powerful to be able to participate in something like that. And I think that it's a great way to empower students to use their voice.
2: Definitely. Yeah, that's definitely great because you would think that you wouldn't speak to students first. So that's, That's a very nice aspect right there.
4: Students first, absolutely.
2: (laughs) All right, Kyle has a question.
1: Hey, Terry, uh, what can today's education leaders do now to ensure they're fostering a responsible and service oriented environment?
4: Well, I think first you lead by example and you serve, right? So just talking about doing your community service hours, for example. If, if you're a Florida student, you know that those community service hours can get you a scholarship. <laughs> but okay, but are you doing it as well? Are you out in the world? Are you participating in ways that you can enhance your community as a leader and having the people that you serve see that? Um, but also it's about embedding it into the culture, I think service as a culture instead of service as a means to an end, getting a scholarship or, you know, doing it over Christmas because this is something that is a nice thing to do. That's really awesome. But embedding it into a culture where you actually, for example, take on a specific charity that you're interested in and then like make that part of your everyday conversation. I think that that's really the way that we can make it impactful
1: definitely well i mean just goes to show how important you know early exposure to civic engagement you know is i think that's really a crucial part of people's upbringing and everything but switching gears a little bit do you think there's there's a key trait or quality that you think all managers should possess or start to develop
4: yeah active listening for sure which is so hard right? Because you think you know everything. You're like, no, I I already got the solution. No, I don't need you to finish that. I I got it. I got it from here. But active listening is, I think it does two things, right? So first, of course, you know, we want to get to the right solution. And so in order to do that, we have to really diagnose a problem. And in order to do that, we have to be silent and really listen to the parts that are not working. But also it speaks to buy-in, right? If your manager or who whatever leader is not listening to you and then they turn around and implement a policy or a change or in my case i you know i give people a training you know a learning journey that they didn't have any input in it's going to be very difficult for me to be able to gain um buy-in and for people to really be engaged with whatever the solution is so absolutely active listening
1: definitely Yep. Yep. completely agree
0: Yeah, I think that's someone everyone could benefit from, not just leaders. (laughs) Yeah,
1: Yeah, sure.
0: (laughs) All right, our next questions are about your backstory. Um, And again, I'm going to kick this section off. I was really surprised to hear that you originally thought you were going to be an actor. (laughs) I don't know why that surprised me, but it did. So I'm curious kind of what attracted you to that as a profession and also um, what can you carry over from that experience into the work that you're doing today?
4: I think you're surprised by it because I'm such an introvert
0: (laughs) and (laughs) you're
4: like that one right there. Um, But I think what attracted me to it is, is actually part of the reason I'm so passionate about the way that we do education in Osceola County, Mm -hmm. because had I gone to school in this day and age, I probably wouldn't have been an actress. I wanted to be, I probably would have been a scientist or something. Right. Mm -hmm. But I was exposed to acting and I thought that was the only thing I was good at. So I was like, well, this is kind of cool. I have a personality and I wouldn't mind playing someone else, being someone else for a living. So I think that that's why I was attracted to it. But um, I think I could have done, you know, spend that time studying science and math because I'm really (laughs) passionate about that now. Um, But what it has helped me with is faking not being an introvert. (laughs) And, you know, those skills have helped me with like, doing speeches, which I tend to do a lot of, and working with people that I may have a little bit of trouble with, you know, breaking the ice and all of that and facilitating classes. So it definitely has helped. But um, yeah, you should be surprised because I'm I'm an introvert.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much. That's really, that's really insightful. (laughs) That's
4: cool.
2: The next question, so sorry, go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Clara. No, I was just going to say, yeah, same thing for me, right? I used to want to be something famous back then, like a singer or something. And then I grew up and I'm like, wait, this doesn't really fit what me or what I really intended to do. Right. Um, But my question here is the story of your grandmother um, was fun to listen to. And are there any other traits or leadership skills that you may have picked up from her in addition to dedication to service?
4: Yeah. So so my grandmother had this like superpower of making everyone feel like they were the most important person in the room. Ooh, Didn't matter who it was. Okay. Child, adult, someone who was like, you know, a dignitary or like a mom. And the way she did that, going back to like what the skill is that I think manager should have, is she would just listen to someone but really listen to them actively, intently listen. She spoke very, very little. Um, Typically when she had those interactions with people because the entire time she was just understanding someone's backstory before she gave her opinion about anything that needed to be done. And everyone just felt like they were the most important person in the room,
2: always. I love that. (laughs) Sounds a lot like my grandmother. I know I love grandmas. (laughs) (laughs)
1: That's such a special quality. Yeah.
0: Um, Uh, Next up, Kyle.
1: Yeah, Terry. So since we recorded uh, our Cromer Connections interview with you last November, you were actually named the first Hispanic chairwoman of the Osceola County School Board. Congratulations! That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, (laughs) that's so so great. And what what do you think your grandmother would think about this achievement?
4: Well, she would definitely be very very proud of me, as she is of all of her grandchildren, of course. (laughs) Um, But I am her favorite. (laughs) But she would also, she would then ask me a series of questions. The first one being, great, now you have a bigger platform, and how are you going to use that in the service of students? Mm. And then she would remind me that I represent the family. So take it very seriously.
1: (laughs) Oh, I love that. There we go.
4: That is such
0: grandmotherly advice, too. I love that. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So, so of course, we know your grandmother was incredibly influential to you, but uh, we didn't hear a lot about your parents on the interview. So I'm curious, what values did you learn from your parents growing up, or how did they influence sort of your understanding of business and service?
4: So my parents were just really big dreamers, always, like, dreaming very, very big, so from them, I think I took that the sky's really the limit. We have to work really, really hard. It doesn't just happen, right? But thinking outside of the box as well, my dad is a musician and his passion was learning instruments. He didn't have the means to learn, you know, instruments. He, his parents weren't rich. Mm-hmm. So he taught himself how to play a series of instruments. Um, amazing. So <laughs> talk about tenacity and dedication. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Those are the things that I learned from my parents. Oh, I
0: love
2: that. Uh, our next question comes from Raquel. Okay, so you mentioned in your initial interview that people should try focusing on fulfillment and using your gifts to serve others. So do you have any advice for those who may have not found their gifts yet?
4: I would say to put yourself in uncomfortable positions because when you're doing that, first of all, like your, your entire body and presence like changes to like, wait, I have to survive this situation. And you never know how strong you are or what skills you actually have until you put yourself in that uncomfortable situation. But also keep trying, right? If if you were going to be an actress, for example, <laughs> and that didn't work out for you, you know, put yourself out there and continue searching for for that passion or, or whatever it is that you fit. Thank you for that.
0: You're listening to The Crummer Hour on WPRK 915 Rollins College. Our guest is Terry Castillo and we'll continue our conversation with her in just a moment. Stay with us.
1: Hi, my name is Brandon Anderson, an Early Advantage MBA student here at the Crummer Graduate School of Business. Rollins College. My time during undergraduate was a complete immersive experience. When I was searching for the next opportunity after graduation, an MBA at Crummer was the best option for me. Crummer has helped me to gain the aptitude and grow as a leader, which have both been essential in reaching my potential. For more information on the Crummer Early Advantage MBA program, visit crummer.rollins.edu.
0: Welcome back to the Crummer Hour. I'm your host, Clara Mount. Our guest is Crummer alumna, Terry Castillo, Training and Development Manager for the Orange County Clerk of Courts and Chairwoman of the Osceola County School Board. And with us, we have our panel of Crummer students and alumni with more questions about Terry's career. Okay, so now we're coming to one of my favorite parts of the show, which is, Crummer Insider Free Association. We are going to play a little game. (laughs) Oh, no! Surprise! (laughs) Surprise! Okay. so the way this works, I'm just going to give you a series of prompts. And I just want you to say the first thing that comes into your mind. And it's all about Crummer. All right, you ready? (laughs) Yeah. Sweet. Okay. so I started my Crummer education in the year...
4: 2019.
0: I finished classes and graduated in the year...
4: 2021. Yeah. (laughs)
0: My cohort name and number was?
4: PMBA 60.
0: There were this many students in my cohort? 42. That is the perfect number.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It is. That
0: is the answer. (laughs) My cohort was known for being?
4: Professionals. Huge. Mm, Yeah, huge.
0: (laughs) For our (laughs) international study, we went to?
4: Well... We had the COVID thing, mm-hmm. but we did um, participate in a international activity in Colombia, and that was really fun.
1: Oh cool. oh, cool. That's really neat.
4: Yeah. It was virtual, which I think was a great way to kind of see how the world works, because that's really where we're going right now. So it was really a great collaboration effort.
0: Oh, I love that. Um, my favorite course
4: was? um, Okay. After... I graduated, my favorite course has become um, the statistics course that we took. Oh, um, okay. I know I didn't do well in that class, but it has become my favorite course after graduation. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. All right. All right. My
0: favorite professor was?
4: Dr. Bellark.
0: <laughs> um, and during my time at Cromer, my greatest time management lesson was?
4: Um, you know what? This is gonna be interesting i think my greatest time management lesson was to be in the moment i'm gonna get like teary-eyed because i miss my guys and i felt like i was so like type a and like constantly like working and working on schedules and stuff and i'm like man i missed us i have great connections with with some people but there are some people that i'm like yeah i wish i could have talked to him more or her more you know hmm oh that's yeah. wonderful
0: well congratulations you won the game <laughs>
4: Yay.
0: congrats congrats thanks so much for playing with us i always love hearing those like in the moment reactions um Thank speaking you. of being in the moment <laughs> all right so our next question is about training and development and that comes from kyle
1: so terry what what are some ways that you uh measure impact through your training and development work
4: uh-huh. This is why that course is now my favorite. So <laughs> before before I was, you know, I went through my MBA program. I I've been in learning and development for a, for a long time and so I thought, oh, you measure me measurement is just you measure the culture, you know, do people enjoy the training, you know, are people happier, are people feeling better about doing their jobs? And that was very subjective. And, you know, teaching training I think sometimes it's looked at as subjective, but it's not, it's not subjective. They're actual measurements that we need to reach and actual goals. And so now for me, it's about first, what is the problem I'm trying to solve with this training or learning journey, right? For example, if I'm creating a new onboarding program, the problem I'm trying to solve, which it was a problem I was trying to solve, is retention of new employees for the first year. Okay. How do I measure that? Well, now I have the numbers from before the program started. And I'm going to compare that to after the program was implemented. There's a very clear, you know, way that I can measure whether or not my training was effective. And so now when I'm creating my learning journeys, I always start with the problem statement. What is a problem I'm trying yeah. to solve? Yeah. And that problem is not that whatever the solution is, it's going to become part of the way I measure whether or not it was effective.
1: Oh, that's really Thanks, interesting. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's <laughs> great. How, how often do you um, like do those studies or what's, there's a, there's a word for it that I'm not doing. What's, what's, how often, I guess, do you uh, measure those statistics?
4: So it depends on what the learning journey is. So my onboarding, I've implemented since last year, starting in October. And so we've had 30, 60 and 90 day check-ins with those specific cohorts. And I also know the numbers for retention, right? So we, we do study that. And there's, um, there's people in our organization who are working on that as their strategic goal and so I, I also have to turn in those numbers to that team to make sure that those numbers are, you know, that they're able to report back on it. So sure. in that specific instance, you know, I have, I have regular check-ins with those specific cohorts. Um, but it depends on on what the training is. It'll be, it'll be different for every learning journey that I create.
1: Okay. All right. That's interesting. That's cool insight. Thank you. <laughs> yeah.
0: I've never thought of starting from like a problem statement to try and figure out what those measurables need to be. Like that, I, yeah. there's something that just clicked about the way you said that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm also curious, how has your line of work changed um, from the impact of COVID? You already mentioned that there's been a lot more remote things going on. So yeah. I'm wondering about like virtual training or or what other changes are you seeing?
4: Definitely virtual training um, that is on the rise everywhere. And you have to flex with where the market is going, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So, but it's not a bad thing. I think, you know, in groups where I'm with other training managers and directors, you always have that fear of, oh, but I'm not live. And how do I know that people are engaged? And that is definitely a challenge. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also think that it brings a bigger opportunity because now I don't have to take people away from their offices to do training. I can do it virtually in their office and that tends to increase the number of people that attend especially if they're oh. in management um but then now i have to figure out how to make sure they're engaged <laughs> they're not just like <laughs> wiggling them out
0: <laughs> are there any are there any certain um like things you've had to change about the way you instruct then
4: too yeah so there's a lot more check-ins so we always have check-ins throughout the the course or the facilitation you know, class that you're doing, mm-hmm. but typically they'll be like at the beginning, there'll be like activities. And then at the end, another check-in, I have to do them much more often now. Oh, okay. And I do polls, like I'll do like poll anywhere where you can see the answers live. So that people are going to be more engaged to actually mm-hmm. see their answers on the screen. So anytime I can, I can engage them in that way. Um, and also make sure that I, I'll keep them on their toes. I'll be like, so-and-so. <laughs> I don't see your camera <laughs> on,
1: so I'm going to call on you, mister.
4: Uh, what is going on?
0: <laughs> oh, man, I love that.
1: I <laughs> learned that from your professors, man.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, our next question is about your personal and professional development, and it comes from
2: Raquel. Yeah. Okay, so what is a habit that you think every young professional should be developing?
4: Data literacy. <laughs> Data literacy. I'm and I'm developing this myself right now. It's I'm not in any way, shape, or form even close to where I think I should be with not only understanding data, but like how do you use data to tell a story? How do you use data to um to be able to tell a story of how your project went, right? So I think that is so, so important. And if you're looking through LinkedIn or you know through job posts and things like that, you'll notice that data literacy is now one of the competencies for a lot of different jobs. So I think it's really, really important that you, you become really um, cozy with data. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what kind of uh, software are you using? Are you using, are you doing like Excel stuff? Are you doing Tableau? Um... I, I do use
4: Excel, but my, um, so it depends on the job, right? <laughs> like Raquel said, I have so many different, so many different hats that I wear. So in my position as a training manager, we are so lucky to have a really robust department that kind of captures the data for us. And then they have, they put it in a very specific place. It's, it was created internally. So
1: okay.
4: brilliant. I work with brilliant people. Um <laughs> But so we have our, our ways of, of getting data segmented, and um, I've been, I've become very familiar with using that and, and flexing it to tell stories to our management teams. Um, in the school district, I think that that is you know a lot of it is captured through Excel. They also have a bunch of different programs that feed into feed into different different things. But um, in the, in the case of the school district, I'm a consumer, not a creator of data.
1: Okay. So yeah. Cool. All right.
0: Um, Our next question is from Kyle.
1: Yeah, Terry, uh, we touched on time management a little bit, but can you share any time management lessons with us? And how do you prioritize when it comes to work?
4: Besides being in the moment, I would say don't overcommit yourself, which is something that I'm notorious for doing. Notorious. I overcommit myself at least three times a week. I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to be in three places at once. (laughs) How will I do this? (laughs) Um, so syncing your calendars is important. Um, I'll forward, you know, invitations that come from one job to another to make sure that I, I see the whole picture. Sure. Um, and also one thing that I think is important is to also schedule your downtime because if you don't schedule it, it's not going to happen. You're just going to keep going
1: all day and you're going to burn out, but
4: definitely keep a schedule and do not overcommit yourself.
1: That's great. Yeah. I mean, I think that that also goes hand in hand with setting boundaries and also knowing, you know, this is my time for work. This is going to be my time for, you know, spending time with family or friends or whatever, because burnout's real. Burnout happens. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Thank you.
0: So as as a training and development manager, I know you're responsible for helping others develop their skills and talents and all of that. So what do you do for yourself so you can continue developing yourself professionally and personally. There we go. <laughs>
4: um I too I do a lot of things. First I belong to the Greater Orlando Organizational Development Group and they have a lot of webinars that we attend, a lot of coaching sessions. And so those are great because first you are a group of your peers, other people who are training managers or coaches or, or talent management specialists. And so you get to kind of like be in a room with your people, but yeah. also making sure that your skill sets are, are sharp, right? And not being yeah. in a bubble of your own organization. Listen to a ton of podcasts, um, reading. I don't do it as much as I want to, but there was a book that we read the five dysfunctions of a team. You guys, have you guys read that one yet? Yeah, it changed my life. It did, (laughs) seriously. Because now, I mean, you know, the work that I do, sometimes I do have to kind of diagnose, like, what is a team dynamic here? How do we get over that? You know, who's playing what? And I think that that was one of the most impactful books that I've read. Um, In fact, I found myself in that book and I had to make a very tough decision about the way that I was going to continue with my work, you know, I have to look mm-hmm. at myself in the mirror and be like, mm, you're not the good character. So, <laughs> so reading um, and just being in community with with people who are like minded.
0: Yeah, it sounds like you do a lot of reflecting on the media and stuff that's around you as well. So it's not yeah. just you're not just listening to it or reading it. You're actually like, how does this apply to me? Yeah, I, I think that extra step is really important, too. Absolutely. Um, so un- unfortunately, we actually have to bring this Q&A to a close. No! Um,
2: <laughs> I know, this has
0: been so fun. Um, so I'm just gonna ask you the same thing I ask everyone else. What would you like to say to the Crummer community today?
4: First, I'm so, so proud and privileged to be part of the Crummer community. And um, I always think about, I think about Crummer every day. You know, how am I representing us, right? And um, how, how do I make our network better? And if you haven't joined the community, you should, cause we're awesome. So <laughs> go to Crummer.
0: <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. All right, with that, I wanna say Terry Castillo, thank you so much for joining us here on the Crummer Hour and, and sharing all of these wonderful insights with us and our listeners.
4: Thanks guys. Thank
0: you Terry. I'd also like to thank our panel representing the Crummer Graduate School of Business. So shout out to Kyle Sawyer and Raquel Court. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again soon with another episode. Today's show is brought to you by the Crummer Graduate School of Business at Rollins College. Now's a great time to consider enhancing your career success by pursuing an advanced degree in business. And the Crummer School offers a variety of educational programs to help you become a global, innovative, responsible business leader. To learn more about the programs and the application process, go to crummer.rollins.edu. The Crummer Graduate School of Business. Experience excellence. The Crummer Hour is a production of Victor Media Group. It's the mission of Victor Media Group to make the world a better place by making ourselves better people. If you like this show, please follow us on your favorite social media platform. Today's show was created by J.B. Adams, executive produced by Gerard Mitchell, and hosted by Clara Mount. Our showrunner is Kyle Sawyer with production assistance by Rachel O'Brien and audio design by Erin Trinka. Our gratitude goes out to Mike Brown and Loveland Finley in Alumni Relations for their gracious help and support. Until next time, Fiat Lux.